evening, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Third Impact Anime Podcast. This time, we're getting very spooky, very creepy, for our 2022 Halloween special! <laughs> On this episode, we are reviewing the 2004 TV anime, Paranoia Agent, directed by... The legendary Satoshi Khan. I am your host for this episode, Oskeleton. And who am I joined by in this wonderful and very scary Discord call? It is it is I, Bill, eating my Count Chocula and Boo Betty. Hopefully not ruining my perfect shiny teeth as I walk down the street. Are you a cereal for dinner kind of guy? If, if I'm in a pinch. Mm. I appreciate that you can go for the easy serial killer joke. Thank you, Austin. <laughs> Dang, missed opportunity. Uh, hi, it's Tori. I'm here to take a rest and reject reality. That's what we do here. <laughs> and I'm taboo ass. That's me. You, d- you did what to my what? <laughs> You figure that out later. So yes, on this episode, we're talking about the psychological thriller anime Paranoia Agent, which is pretty cool because it's been quite a long time since we've talked about any Satoshi Kon stuff on the podcast. I think the last thing we did was, funny enough, a Christmas special back when we first started being third impact anime like one of our first episodes was reviewing Tokyo Godfathers. And I don't think we've returned to the Satoshi Kon pool since then. We also did Memories, which is not yeah. a fully Satoshi work, but he did work on the big famous segment of that anthology work. That's true. I, I would definitely say that that counts. Like, it certainly oh, feels like is... we would have done that by now. We're all we're all fans of of uh, Khan's work, and you know, mm-hmm. even though yeah. we don't have an actual podcast in the pipe, it certainly feels like we talk about Khan a lot, you know, as we should. Because that's true. Wow, what a, what an output. I mean, honestly, and it it is uh, just coincidentally, we didn't really plan this at all because, again, this is kind of going to be serving as our Halloween special. But it was actually just his birthday, maybe, I don't know, a few days ago from the time of this recording. So, you know, it's Mm -hmm. as good a time as any to remember Satoshi Khan's output and his legacy. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Left left us too, too soon. Honestly, yes, for sure. But yeah, this should be a fun one. You know, I I don't think I, I would argue that Paranoia Agent isn't itself very Halloween esque, but it is sort of psychological horror thriller, and I think it fits in within sort of the broader genre of horror anime. So I think it's pretty appropriate to do it for a Halloween special. But before that, I kind of wanted to ask you guys just to get the ball rolling at the top of the podcast. What are some of your favorite anime that give you the most fall vibes? And that can mean whatever you want it to mean. Fall vibes. Well, I don't really, you know, I don't, I thought about this. I don't, can't really associate that many series with, with any season, really. That's not flat out, you know, like snowy for winter or, you know, beachy for summer. Mm-hmm. I think generally when I think of fall, I think of like anime weekend Atlanta and coming back to, you know, my anime batteries charged up, ready to watch something new. So I'm, you know, it makes me think of um, way back in like 2010 when like uh, watching like Penny and Stocking as that was coming out, 
and like mm. Squid Girl that season. And then just like a few years later, watching, you know, Kill a Kill, being excited for that new show. But as far as vibes go, I think maybe, um, oh, what was that? Haibane Rinme has what I would mm. consider the same vibes that I enjoy in autumn. I mean, autumn's the best month. Let's just go ahead and get that out there. Uh, no contest. Absolutely. Autumn, best season. Autumn is, autumn is not a month, but I hear what you're saying. Uh, well, you know, it, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but something about high binary in may just it feels it's not really dreary but kind of it's like brownish it's got that brown tent like it feels just kind of chilly and cold the weather does mm-hmm. i don't know something about it just gives me that sort of i mean you guys like like the when the weather turns like you can smell autumn right i'm not the only person yeah. that can like notice the smell of the season right oh no Oh no! And it's not yeah, just Tor- like it's, yeah. Tori and I were talking just like about that pumpkin- just like a couple weeks ago. It's not just like you know the pumpkin spice lattes come out. You smell that like <laughs> there's something in the atmosphere that just feels different. It's very nostalgic because you know that's generally when school starts back. You know when you're a kid, but something about that just matches high binder rhythme to me. I feel like hmm. that's a good pick. What do you think, Tori? Soft autumn vibes, Little Witch Academia for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know. I just think of like you know witches and kind of like the fun, mischievous side, like the the innocent side of Halloween and having a good time. Um, if I want like scary autumn vibes, mm, I don't know. Maybe Yami Shibai or like Shiki or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> No, that's fair. I, I kind of wanted to pick Little Witch Academia for mine, but I went with a slightly different pick that is basically the same pick, but I'll get I'll get to that after Bill. Go ahead. Oh, boy. <laughs> what do you think, Bill? Um, This might be a little out of left field, but I would say Spice and Wolf uh, for me. Mm-hmm. Fits, Ooh, like, yeah. Pumpkin kind of Spice fall, and Wolf. Kind of fits the fall vibe because uh, just like I remember watching that for the first time in the fall both seasons that that came out came out during the fall season um in terms of just when the show takes place it's majority of the time during like kind of the fall winter season and it just uh especially with that opening sequence uh yeah so i just that kind of reminds me of the fall time just in terms of aesthetics yeah i don't know that's totally fair that that's that's a series that i haven't really approached in any meaningful way beyond watching like the first episode like many many years ago but i like shows that are like mostly vibes so maybe i need to revisit that one at some point but my pick is uh uh little camp academia uh laid back camp and (laughs) i know that laid back camp like it mostly takes place in like the winter months but it kind of goes throughout the seasons like the through the progression of time but that show is just so so good at evoking this sense of like coziness and matching our our moods and our behaviors to the changing of the weather that you know I associate it with fall um a little bit more so than winter and yeah so that that one's my pick that one's my pick nice yeah good choice thank you thank you All right, folks, well, we're going to take a quick break, and after that, we're going to get into talking about our topic in earnest. Please, don't go away. 
you gotta you gotta try reverse psychology if you ask them to they're going to turn it off okay but tell them to get the get the hell out scram kids (laughs) that'll keep them listening to begin a rabbit jumps behind the moon what is it that the black rabbit sees on the horizon with his big red eyes a fish on the land has trouble when he's stepped on by cows a playful palace where the butterfly dances vanishes away at twilight the cow starts it by chance and the goodness continues the golden box grins at you then so yeah we're back we're gonna be talking about paranoia agent and kind of my because i i was kind of the spearhead for wanting to make this episode happen this year as our uh Halloween special because you know in previous years we've done uh, we've done a number of different things for our Halloween specials we've done like um we did vampire kind of an D. overview of like did we do vampire hunter we didn't actually do vampire hunter d as a Halloween special but we have talked about it before oh. way 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 back and then we did uh Tori and Tobias you guys were there when we kind of picked our like our broad Halloween picks and we brought like a lot of things to the table we also then, talked about Paranoia Agent on that episode. Very we did. briefly. Very yes. briefly. That's true. And what else did we do for other Wasn't other Little Witch episodes? Academia a Halloween episode? I don't no, think so. No, that was, a, that was after the only, the only Halloween episode we did was the one you mentioned with okay. me, Tori, Austin, Sarah. Well, anyway, I, I've wanted to get through Paranoia Agent for for quite some time, mostly because it's like the one satoshi Khan thing that i had not seen um so it's like i kind of really wanted to watch it but i've kind of had this general hesitation about wanting to actually finish the show for a number of years because after i was done with it i knew there was not going to be any satoshi Khan anime left but i also knew like <laughs> it just i needed to come to the to the to the point of being like okay well i need to stop putting it off and just just watch the thing so i think picking it for this year's halloween episode was just the push that i needed to finally knock it off of my list but uh mm-hmm. i uh you might you might say that rather than avoiding the 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 situation and letting it eat away at you little slugger rolled up and smacks you in the face with his blu-ray set and feed you from that worry little slugger of course being the third impact anime podcast (laughs) yes of course and we're here to thwack all of you listening at home but uh yeah so i guess my general familiarity with it is that i mean i've i think i've talked about this either on the podcast or on a on a panel before it's like i've known about satoshi khan for a very long time since like the beginning of my serious anime fandom back in high school when I started getting into it more seriously and wanting to sort of you know look into all the things that are sort of in the anime canon so to speak uh, so I saw Paprika pretty it, back then and then slowly went through his entire catalog but again like I said Paranoia Agent I missed it on TV didn't really go out of my way to check it out for many years while knowing that I, you know, it was always it was always there uh, until this year. So, um, what about you guys? What was your first general experience with Paranoia Agent? So, unlike you, uh, I do remember when TV was linear, and when it, you know, came over the airwaves. And uh, I do Back remember when there were when only Adult four Swim channels. Yeah, one of those channels was Adult Swim. <laughs> <laughs> 
but I didn't actually, I don't think I actually watched it on TV. I might've caught an episode or two, but it was only a few years later that I, um, sat down and breezed through it. And like originally, you know, I've, I've got another sort of admission to make here, a confession, if you will. I think this is the first time that I actually like got paranoia agent, if I'm being honest. <laughs> like when I watched it the first time, I one of the first things I heard about it was this is like a Japanese ghost story. It's just a Japanese ghost story about modern, the modern times, man. But hmm. it's being told like a Japanese ghost story. And I was so enamored with the concept of it being a, like a horror thing, you know, in sheep's clothing that I was, I was more worried about that than actually understanding what was, what was like, what I was trying to say, you know, you see the title, like paranoid agent, like back in the day, that was just a cool, there's just a cool ass title. Paranoid mm. agent. Hell yeah. That sounds awesome. But I don't think it was like Still until this watch cool. that I really got what it was trying to say with paranoia and you know, that and what it's, it's telling, you know, saying here. Uh, so yeah, this was, uh, I think honestly, probably one of the last con things I've seen as well. When you look at the grand scheme of things. Mm -hmm. Um, I was lucky and I actually got to watch it on TV when it first aired. So I, I, (laughs) yeah. So (laughs) I think to make everybody feel old, but I think I was only like 12 or 13 when it aired (sighs) on TV. (laughs) Um, and I was just like very enamored i didn't understand anything that was going on at all um i thought the theme song was very weird and i think that's kind of like what gripped me and i was like okay well this is strange and i like the vibes but i have no idea what's going on and um there's a couple episodes that still even like stuck with me and i can remember very vividly but then like i watched it like several years ago again and was like okay no this is still very good i still very much love this it's probably in my top 10 but then yeah watching it again this week it feels like it clicked again in a completely different way and like you said Mm -hmm. i feel like i get it a lot better now um having more like worldly experiences and like understanding the world a little bit better as an adult Mm -hmm. and um like i was talking to austin just a couple days ago and was like dang like I know this was released in 2004, but some of this stuff really still holds up and is happening happening socially. So, but yeah, long long roundabout way um, to just say that I got to see it when it aired on TV, and that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> you you guys were doing the equivalent of of, of uh, typing first on the YouTube video. Well, I got to see it on oh, TV. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. All power to you, of course. Bill, what's what's your history with Paranoia Agent? Um. Like a lot of people, I kind of heard about Stitchcon's name through kind of osmosis and in my anime fandom. And then I slowly got to go through his movies and I really liked them. And then I kind of saved Paranoid Agent for last because I knew it was the last thing of his that I hadn't seen. So I waited. You're just like me. You're just like me. (laughs) Yes, just like you. Um, But hey, I'm I'm... I'm going to technically say it's not the last Satoshi thing because there's still that Satoshi documentary that has been uh, made and that aired in France. It's still not mm-hmm. here yet. Mm-hmm. Come on, G-Kids. I still haven't seen Paprika, so... Hey, there oh. you go. Oh, man, that's there the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm going to say it right now. At some point, we will be doing an episode on Paprika. There it is. It's in stone. Cool. Mm. Well, so... Uh, I I think I'm happy I saw Paranoid Agent now as an older 
adult because if I watched this as a teenager, it would have gone over my head. And mm. it's I, I don't mean to make comparisons, but it was the way I, we were. I was watching it. I couldn't help but kind of make Eva comparisons a bit because while there is a central story to Paranoia the central story doesn't really matter. It's more of a character piece, just like Ava mm-hmm. is, if you really think about it. Oh, yeah. Where yeah. each of where each of these um, episodes as we go along, we learn more about these characters' uh, flaws and uh, kind of a darker side to these people as we as we go through uh, the the journey of paranoia. <laughs> So I guess that kind of generally establishes, you know, where we're coming from in this in this review. But just to backtrack a little bit, I did want to share a couple of uh, points of the background of this show and some production details that I think are pretty important to know for this show, generally speaking. So the series aired in Japan from February until May of 2004. It was originally released on DVD by uh, the now defunct anime company Genion uh, and was later picked up by Funimation probably in like the late 2010s after being out of print for many years and they put it on Blu-ray for the first time and it's it was on streaming for the first time and uh, Funimation licensed rescued the series and put it out on Blu-ray after being out of print for a number of years and they put it up on streaming so it's it's probably more available now than it ever was thankfully an English dub ran on Adult Swim in May of 2005, which is obviously where Tobias and Tori would have seen it. And then they did a revival airing back in as recently as 2020. So that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So the series, yeah. The series was produced by Studio Madhouse, who's a very prolific and long-running anime production studio, who also around that time was working on things like Bo- Boogie Pop Phantom, which is, uh, you know, kind of adjacently connected to Paranoia Agent in a number of ways, both from a staff perspective and from a thematic perspective. They were also working on Hajime no Ippo, which is, I know, something Bill really likes, and Naoki Urasawa's monster anime, Beck Mongolian Chop Squad, Metropolis, the Cardcaptor Sakura movies, and, of course, the all-time classic, Kirby Right Back At Ya. <laughs> yeah, when I think of Madhouse and their entire history, the thing that I snap right back to is the Kirby adaptation. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's the only thing that they should be remembered for. Sully, would you go on this episode? When did you sneak out here? <laughs> so, uh, Paranoia Agent was conceived of, written, and directed again by the legendary anime creator Satoshi Khan the director of some of the best and most enduring psychological thriller anime of all time, like Perfect Blue and Paprika. And by 2004, he had been working with Studio Madhouse and producer Masao Maruyama on a number of projects, most notably his own directed films, Perfect Blue, Millennium Actress, and Tokyo Godfathers. Uh, And apparently Paranoia Agent itself grew out of a bunch of ideas that Khan had had while producing his previous works, and he thought that they would fit better into a semi-anthological TV series rather than a feature film. 
they started production on Paranoia Agent around the same time as, as Tokyo Godfathers, like at the peak of the animation process to, in order to keep most of the staff together. Um, Satoshi Kon <laughs> decided I need to, we need to keep the crew together. So what should I do next? And I should, I should do a TV series. So they started early production um, on Paranoia in the middle of Tokyo Godfathers. There's a really, um, if you own the Funimation Blu-ray, there's a lot of cool bonus features that you normally don't get on um, Blu-rays for anime, um, where there's an audio commentary track with Satoshi Kon, the writer of Paranoia Agent and the producer. And one of my favorite things he says in it is, people ask me, why do you go so fast? Well, because... Um, once you're done with your project in animation, you're unemployed. <laughs> so <laughs> I try and I try and get to the next project as soon as I can in order to keep in order to stay employed. <laughs> kind of makes you wonder about that about that episode in the second half of the show about the animation studio that's basically like horror Shirobako, like ten years before <laughs> Shirobako. It's funny that they did that story in episode ten about how horrible the it is for anime production when that episode actually went very smoothly for them in terms of production. That's it it was episode, (laughs) it was episode two where they were struggling (laughs) to, to, to find somebody and because of their tight deadlines. Um, Oh my gosh. That is the peak of irony that the episode about the horrors of, uh, of, of the animation world, uh, was a a great, uh, delight to work on. Yeah. I (laughs) thought it was pretty funny. (laughs) That's amazing. So, uh, Tobias, lay it on us. What is Paranoia Agent actually about? Is this some sort of, like, is it about Agent Smith murmuring to himself in the basement? Like, what what is this show about? Uh, I I don't know what that means, but what it is about... You haven't uh, seen The Matrix, a, come on. A, 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 what, the Matrix? What? Yeah, I said Agent Smith. It, there, Parano- De- shut it up, came never out. mind. <laughs> uh, so this... Austin, you threw me off my, my gimbal. Uh, anyway, so uh, this show takes place in a sort of a modern day Tokyo. Well, I say modern day, uh, modern being the 2000s when this series was being made. Uh, a little bit different than modern day 2020s, but um, it sort of centers around uh, a, a center, it centers around a woman named Suki Kosage, who is a character designer. She designs like basically Hello Kitty. Just mm-hmm. character goods, really like um uh, is is kawaii the correct term? Isn't there a term for so. like specifically overly kawaii characters? Maybe well, yeah, not. Like kind of mascot characters, maybe? Like very Sam esque. Yes. Exactly. Like she's basically making the new Hello Kitty, which is a big eyed dog named Marome. Uh so she's coming off the success of making this incredibly popular character. Uh Put under a lot of stress because she's expected to make the next Hello Kitty character, but she just can't quite figure out, you know, the right ingredients to make a award-winning popular character. Uh, so she's going home one night with all this work stress uh, bearing down on her. She's attacked by this mysterious boy who runs around on roller skates and a crooked golden bat who supposedly strikes her, uh, knocking her out. And uh, 
she becomes sort of the the the, the center of a I guess almost like a, a media campaign as everyone in this uh, this area of Tokyo is fascinated by this mysterious attacker and they all sort of throw pity on her. Uh, yeah, so we have this a personality, this this young boy, they start calling him Little Slugger because nothing really is known about him. And word starts to spread of this this attack and this, this assailant. And we see as the series progresses, uh, started tying into the anthology aspect of the series. Uh, Little Slugger attacks a number of other people, including a pair of young boys. He attacks a, um, a young woman who works at a university. He attacks, uh, who else? He attacks a, a cop, uh, rather. A, I'm not sure if it's a cop or a, an actual a PI, but uh, yeah. just a and cop, sort of I the, remember. He's a journalist. So, well, that, yeah, well, he yeah, there's the journalist too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. There's the journalist, and there's also the cop. They, they the characters look very similar. They're very they do. toad-like. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, but like the the thing that tied these characters together, they all sort of like one character meets another sort of throughout the series. But what really what ties these incidents together is that they all are under a lot of stress. They all um, have a lot of anxiety about their situation, whether it is trying to meet expectations or are sort of running away from um, a mental illness. And they all are under a lot of stress and deeply desire an escape. And Little Slugger, even though it's an attack on them, he provides that escape. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of the nature of the series as it unfolds. Because early on, the audience, you don't really know what Little Slugger's motive, I guess, is, for lack of a better Mm -hmm. word. And it's like it, it it all just seems random, but as you as you continue to sort of examine, you know, who is it that Little Slugger targets, it becomes increasingly obvious that it is specifically people that are under a lot of emotional duress. Uh, the way that one of the the cops puts it in the in the show, I don't know if he says exactly this in in the Japanese version but he says this in the dub is like he goes after people that are emotionally cornered or something like that. Yes. That's kind of the way yeah, that they also they also say that in the Japanese. Okay. And it's also, at least in the beginning, all the victims are kind of interconnected with each other. Mm-hmm. So I guess all that being said, I think it is really important that we point out, you know, not only Satoshi Kon being sort of the main creative force behind the series, but also a lot of other uh, collaborators and folks in on the production team that sort of brought this brought this whole thing to life. And I think one of the people that is very important in sort of conveying the tone of this series and especially and that especially comes across with the opening specifically and that's of course the musical composer Susumu Hirasawa who is a pretty frequent collaborator with uh, Satoshi Kon he worked on he worked with uh, Kon on basically all of his projects with the exception of Perfect Blue and he was also the principal composer behind the uh, soundtracks for the Berserk series, like from mm. the 1997 series all the way through the sort of 2016 and 2017 anime versions. He also did the music for some of the video games. And interestingly enough, that's basically the extent of his anime work. Like he worked with Satoshi Kon, he's worked with the Berserk franchise, and then not really anything else, which is, I think, a kind of a shame because his musical scores are so unique and so like instantly recognizable he seems to be uh, not just an you know how some people just work in the anime system and that's it 
he also seems to be just an artist by himself in a Q&A that's on the Blu-ray between him and Satoshi Kon. Satoshi Kon talks about his latest album at the time um, and how it really inspired him um, for uh, certain sequences. So I think he's not just solely mm-hmm. working within the anime spheres, that he is also just an artist that puts out his own yeah. work. And that way he sort of mirrors Khan. Like Khan sure did a lot of anime and even manga early on, but it doesn't really feel like an anime director. And that's I think this is a perfect perfect match for these two two people. For sure. Uh we also have a our, our lead character designer is another frequent Khan collaborator, and that's Masashi Ando. He worked again with Khan on Tokyo Godfathers and Paprika. Um Funny enough, he was behind some of the most iconic Studio Ghibli characters, like uh, at least designing the versions that you see in the films, even if Hayao Miyazaki did like the initial like sketches and the ideas of the characters, like the ones you see in the movie, those were adapted by Masashi Ando, including the characters from Princess Mononoke and Spirited Away. He also did character designs for uh, A Letter to Momo, which I think is really obvious whenever you stack momo up against the works of satoshi khan like it's pretty obvious it's the same character designer like they have that kind of that more like realistic look to them as opposed to like you know more exaggerated anime stuff and even exaggerated to the extent that you see in like studio ghibli he also worked on your name and he directed the movie all of us got to go see in the theaters recently except bill uh the deer king the scripts for the series, you know, while Satoshi Kon was the broad, like, concept writer and came up with the stories and everything, the actual, you know, scripts, the the, the words that we hear come out of the characters' mouths and the way that they come out, uh, the scripts were done by Seishi Minakami, who also, again, wrote scripts for Boogie Pop Phantom. So, again, like I said earlier, these, these series are more connected than you may think. And he was the series composer and the scriptwriter for a number of the entries in the Railgun slash Index series. And he again worked with Khan on the screenplay for Paprika. And this is an interesting factoid that I did not know about until I was looking looking this up. That uh, the legendary anime director Rintaro actually came and did storyboards for episode 9. Which is pretty interesting because... You know, Rintaro, you know, kind kind of a legend in the anime sphere. Like, he directed the Galaxy Express 3-9 movies, along with a number of other Leiji Matsumoto projects. He also directed The Dagger of Kamui, uh, Metropolis, which I think is still criminally underrated. That's a really good movie. And the 1969 and the 1972 Moomin TV series. So that one's for you, Tori. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Moomin's a lot like episode. He did a story <laughs> for episode nine. Which which episode was was nine? Uh, episode nine was the one with the ladies gossiping and like making up all the stories oh, about Little Slugger. Yeah, yeah. That was a good one. Before yeah. we get to the, before we get to the cast, I like to I go back to the screenwriter. Is uh, in the audio commentary at least for the first one, Khan says that um, he doesn't. Having a good writer is is nice, but he, someone that he can collaborate with is a plus. And uh, Minikami was worried at first because uh, Khan had already written the first draft for the first episode, and he was like, "I don't know, 
you already seem to like know what you want. Are you sure you want me to write this? And so Connor's like, no, no, I, I, you got this. Um, we, we work together really well. I, 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 I think you know what you're doing. Um, and uh, they talk a lot about the writing process in the uh, audio commentaries where uh, the, f well, actually, we'll get into that later. But um, yeah, just really interesting stuff. Yeah, it is always interesting whenever you see someone who is so often branded as like an auteur, like this creative, like this individual creative genius, a lot like what we see for for the way that people talk about Satoshi Kon. And a lot of that is valid, but it's also important to remember that many of these people are also extremely talented at just bringing in other extremely talented people to collaborate with. And that's well, one of the keys about their success. It's, it's funny because I'm going to keep saying it. We'll keep a tally for how many times I say it. In the audio commentary, Khan says, people, the, <laughs> the, way the, the way this TV series is marketed is by the brilliant creator Satoshi Khan, or the, the fantastic mind of Satoshi Khan. And I disagree with that because I, I believe that this is a collaborative process and it's not just me <laughs> that's, that's doing this, basically. It's, it's very easy, and we all do this as fans. It's very easy to pin an entire work on one person, mm -hmm. whether somebody like Khan or, uh, you know, Hideo Kojima. You know, people seem to put all the works and talk about that guy as being awesome. But, like, no, they, they're only great because they have a whole team behind them. And sure, Minakami or, you know, to a lesser extent, you know, Hirosawa may not be as, quote-unquote, responsible for Paranoia Agent, their other works. But if we're being honest, like, the music, for instance or even the scripts of the, the, the theories composition, like that's just as much uh, but, of the show as anything else. But like, this is to a larger conversation. It's just, it's easier for the marketer to put a single name behind mm -hmm. it. than than just a It's either just a single name or it's a studio name. And exactly. it's, it's harder to say, by this person and this person and this person, because I think they're afraid that if you mention too many names that people will just zone out or they won't have the context for well, aren't the people, person's name. Aren't people just so lucky that they are listening to a podcast where we're talking about all these cool people that are involved in making cool stuff? How about that? <laughs> Give ourselves a pat on the back. <laughs> Or they, they go the opposite route and they get way too vague because I literally think it was Barbarian where they were touting it like from a producer of The Grudge, from a exactly. producer of The Ring. And I'm like, okay, well, which one? <laughs> I was going to say like, remember when Fireworks came out and they were like, it's from the producer's best friends, you know, <laughs> yes. the cousin's crush of your names. <laughs> it's like, what? What? Okay. <laughs> featuring an episode that was key animated by Hayao Miyazaki yeah, Miyazaki looked at this yes <laughs> yes <laughs> he Mi glanced Miyazaki. in my general direction <laughs> Miyazaki put out a cigarette on this guy's forehead <laughs> once <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, so moving on a bit to our cast, we're going to go through kind of, we're not going to, well, first of all, the cast in this series is, is pretty massive, so we can't possibly go through all of the characters, but we're going to go through like some of the key players that show up more often than others, and we're going to do the, the English and the Japanese uh, folks. So, uh, Tori, let's, uh, let's tag team on this one. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get off, started off with our, with our first main character, which is, of course, uh, Shonen Bat in the Japanese or Little Slugger in English, which I think, by the way, is a pretty good localization because if they just called him Bat Boy, I don't know if that would really, <laughs> really sell That's it. a different <laughs> cultural connotation for sure. <laughs> right, right. I, I don't know if Bat Boy would really... <laughs> what really vibe speaking but of, speaking of old references yeah <laughs> yes yes uh but yeah little slugger that that's that's a solid choice i think and uh in japanese he is voiced by daisuke sakaguchi who is shimura senpachi in gintama he is a jacuzzi in bakano and he is young ace in one piece and in English, he is voiced by Sam Regal, who Bill informed me before this podcast started that this guy's on Critical Role, and I have never once listened to Critical Role or watched it in my life. So thank you for that one, Bill. Uh, uh, Speaking of in, Critical. Yeah. Uh, funny enough, he also plays Metal Bat in One Punch Man, so I see he's got quite a... Yes. He's got an oofer here. Uh, and he plays Alphanod in Final Fantasy XIV. He's played Alphano. <laughs> Alphano. Yeah, Alphano. It's French. Oh, see, yeah, Alphano. You would know this if you played. He plays. Uh, he plays ba- uh, Baguette Eiffel Tower in Final Fantasy XIV. Wow. He plays, um, wow. and he plays uh, Phoenix Wright in most of the uh, Ace Attorney things that have gotten an English dub. And he's also a number of characters in Star Wars: The Bad Batch. Yeah, he's also a notable animation uh, voice director. He did the voice direction for the Ducktales reboot. Our one of our other main characters, we have Sukiko Sagi. Um, in Japanese, she was voiced by Mamiko Noto, who was Yukiko in JoJo. Um, Diamond is Unbreakable. And um, Jin's daughter in Tokyo Godfathers. She was also Lancer. I do not remember how that's pronounced, so I'm not even going to try to attempt that. Um, <laughs> but yes, um, um, in the Fate series, and then I didn't in English, just I didn't want to put just Lancer because that means well, nothing. no, I know because there's like that that means nothing, um, and yes. to most people that still means nothing. True, um, she's a Fate person. <laughs> so in English, um, Sukiko is voiced by Michelle Ruff who was um, Fujiko Mine in Lupin the Third, Yoko and Gurren Lagan, and Sinon in Sword Art Online. That won't be the only time that another, again, another person that has played multiple roles in multiple Satoshi Kon things uh, will, will show up. So, And next up, uh, Maromi is voiced by Halko Momoi, who at the time was a pretty prolific idol singer, and she has gone on to be the voice of Ferris Nyanyan in Steins Gate. And she's also the lead character in Nurse Witch Komugi. She doesn't have a super massive credit list, but those were two of the big roles that I found that she had played. And in English, she is voiced by Carrie Savage, who is Cisne in Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII. And she's also Raka in Haibane Renmei and Madoka's Cool Mom in Madoka Magica. Yeah. 
Um, okay, next up, uh, Detective Maniwa was voiced in Japanese by Toshihiko Seki, who, that's great, was Duo Maxwell in Gundam Wing, and then Senketsu in Kill la Kill. And then in English, we have William Markham slash Liam O'Brien, um, same actor, just credited differently, um, who voices um, Maniwa. He was Gara in Naruto, Zabi in Mobile Suit Gundam The Origin, and Nephrite in the Viz Double Sailor Moon. This so was I... the older detective in the series, right? No, this is the younger one. Uh, the young guy. The, young, yeah. the younger yeah, one yeah. that yeah. went down the rabbit hole. Yes. And, uh, uh, sidebar, Duo Maxwell is another perfect Gundam name. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> yes. It's probably a lot of people's first crazy Gundam name. That is true. The police chief, Keiichi Ikari, is voiced by Shozo Izuka, who was Nappa and Android 8 in the Dragon Ball franchise. And he was the Japanese dub voice of Pazuzu in The Exorcist. So, nice to meet you. I played Pazuzu in The Exorcist. Nice to meet you. I played Pazuzu in The Exorcist. I imagine just introducing yourself that way. Uh, In English, he was voiced by Michael McConaughey, who was Charles Z. Britannia in Code Geass the narrator in Hunter x Hunter 2011, and was the Count Cagliostro in the streamlined dub of The Castle of Cagliostro, the Lupin the Third movie. Cool. And then um, playing the old woman, we have um, Hisako Kyoda. She was Genkai in Yu Yu Hakusho, the dub voice of the fairy godmother in Cinderella and the granny in Looney Tunes, and apparently a ton of other old ladies um seems like she gets typecasted i guess mm-hmm. and then in english is melora hart she is the wife of voice actor steve kramer and she also played one of the psychic kids in akira yeah yeah the uh hisako kyoda also played i didn't write it down but she played i can't remember her name she played the old woman in uh Inu- inuyasha as well i can't remember her name oh um oh that's gonna bug me until I look it up. Hold on. The old lady with the eye patch. Lady, lady something. Um, lady something. Lady Inuyasha. No. Lady Yashahime. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kaede. Kaede, yes, thank you. Yeah. And then the old man in Japanese is voiced by Ryuji Saikachi, and he also played the old homeless man in uh, Tokyo Godfathers, and he was oh, the Japanese. Okay voice of uh, Rafiki in all of the Lion King projects, and he passed away in 2017. And the old man in English was played by William Frederick Knight, who is 88 years old at the time of this recording and is still acting in anime to this day. I remember Tori and I were watching the dub of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Stone Ocean, and he shows up as the old man that Jolene has to fight in the prison. And I'm like, gosh, that guy sounds so familiar. And it was definitely, it was William Knight. And I'm like, that, that guy has sounded old since I started hearing him in anime. <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. Yes. It's like he's 88 and still still doing anime work. The reason he sticks out to me is because he vaguely at the right time will sound like Brian Doyle Murray, which is the old man who voiced Captain Knuckles in... Um... <laughs> Slapjack, that cartoon, and um, I thought it was him, and I confused the two of them very regularly. Um, <laughs> but they're different actors. <laughs> oh, that's funny. It's a funny, yes. funny, uh, funny uh, connection. Uh, but he actually started acting all the way back in the original Star Trek TV series. He was an extra in that, 
and probably to anime people, he is most well known as being the longtime voice of Daisuke Aramaki in Ghost in the Shell, who has been Aramaki for longer than Mary Elizabeth McGlynn has been the major. So that tells you something. And he mm-hmm. also played Professor Minovsky in Mobile Suit Gundam The Origin, and again, he played the, uh, the, the priest, like the cult leader priest in, uh, in Akira. And the That's dub was directed awesome. by... Yes, and I wonder if I wonder if he's old enough to remember watching Paranoid Agent on Adult Swim. (laughs) Probably, he was pretty young back in two (laughs) thousand four. That's awesome. He's still voice acting. That's that's great. Um, How did he sound in the Stone Ocean dub? Because I haven't really heard the dub. To me, he literally sounded no different than I remember him sounding in uh, in Standalone Complex. Fantastic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, he's great. Like, if you guys have been watching uh, Stone Ocean in in Japanese, I highly recommend that dub. By the way, it's 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 an excellent dub. It is probably the best dub that I've heard um, of the dubs that I've checked out from JoJo's so far. It's very good. But yes, the Paranoia Agent dub was directed by Jonathan Klein, who also directed Technolize, Ergo Proxy, and Hibane Renmei. So lots of uh, dark Similar vibey vibes. Yeah. yeah, dark, vibey, Genion properties of the early 2000s. A lot, lot of hard, um, kind of very heavy shows. Uh, Definitely. Not that, that's a, not that that's a bad thing, but just like, <laughs> you're not watching those shows for like a happy laugh or, or like a, a, co- a comedy <laughs> tone. Just kind of like that period of time. You were in a post-Ava sort of depressive funk. You know, tons of shows had that really introspective slow burn feel to mm-hmm. them definitely uh, i would like to go back and do a revisit of ergo proxy because i remember <clears throat> really liking that when i watched it and i thought it was the coolest thing ever that they used a radiohead song as the mm. ending <laughs> man how do they afford that i don't expensive. know but edgy teen me thought that was the coolest thing ever <laughs> Anyway, so some special performances that we wanted to note. Harumi Chono, which was the character... I think you mean mean Maria. Yes, I mean Maria. How could I forget? Um, She wants to be free. F-R-E-E, free. (laughs) Um, In Japanese, was voiced by Kotono Mitsuishi, the queen herself. um, You know, as Usagi in Sailor Moon. uh, Misato in Eva. And, of course, Tai Yamada in Zombieland Saga making the bank for just a simple grunt here and there. And then Taeko Hirokawa was voiced by Nana Mizuki. She's an extremely famous J-pop artist and just seiyuu in general. Um, she did a lot of songs for Symphogear and uh, Magical Girl Lyrical Nanoha. She was on in Persona 5, Cure Blossom in Precure, um, Heartcatch Precure, Wrath and Fullmetal Alchemist, Hinata and Naruto, and she was also the dub voice of Katniss in the Hunger Games. So, a lot of cool titles under her belt for sure. Do, 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 do. Or however that thing goes. I haven't seen the movie, I've only read the book, so I don't know. What, they don't play that in the book? <laughs> no! Maybe, maybe in the audiobook. <laughs> uh. All right, so we've kind of talked around the show, but I guess going around the table. What did everyone think of this show, visiting it in this, the year of our Lord, 2022? I want to point 
Well, we'll just go in order. So I'll just point it to Tobias first. So what did you think of Paranoia Agent re- revisiting it this time? Uh, well, this time, like I said earlier, I felt like this is the first time I really got the series. I was too focused initially on this is this is Japanese horror. This is different than what I'm used to. This is special. It's different. It's more of a slow burn. There are ghosts that are different. And while I got the fact that it's about like basically memetic information and that, that sort of mania, I didn't really like make a lot of the connections I feel like I should have because I was too focused on it being it's weird, man. They got the the weird music and the weird ending. It's supposed to be creepy, and I think weird I was too preoccupied with that. But uh, I think no, I, I really got it this time. I really enjoyed it. I think we can uh, talk about the the issues with it in a little bit. But overall, yeah, I dug it. Good show, man. Bill, what did you think? Um, overall, I liked it. I think I liked more of the individual stories uh, than the overall arc of the show. I think the individual stories are where this show's real strength is. Um, I, uh, I, I don't really get the idea of it being a ghost story. I've, it's more to me like kind of a psychological evaluation of these individuals and of their fears and anxieties and inner demons and their flaws that each of them face. Um, and I guess my only criticism, and it, it's, it, it, it's, I mean this in a light way, but um, the show doesn't look the best in the world, but it is an early 2000s digital show. Like they said in their Q&A uh, on the bonus features that, this is the first kind of all digital show that Khan had done at the time. And uh, <laughs> so I, because of that, it's not the most crispest, prettiest show in the world to look at. But overall, I dug it. Tori? Um, I will share that sentiment. Um, I was lazy and didn't watch my Blu-ray. So I, I just watched it on streaming and the quality difference between my television and my computer screen was night and day um Mm. but overall it really held up for me it was kind of like another revisit essentially like a like a fresh revisit and i had forgotten just enough of the small fine details like i could remember the big picture but like the small details of how we got to certain plot points were kind of fuzzy for me so kind of like rediscovering that was really cool um, I'm happy that my favorite episodes definitely are still my favorite episodes and a few things have definitely hit me um, different now and I will be excited to kind of talk about that when we get into more in-depth discussion but no I'm so happy that this is just as good as I remembered it being. <laughs> yeah not to harp on it too hard but I also noticed the thing about the visual fidelity and it, this definitely like i was watching it on my blu-ray the whole time and i was just like dang well this upscale didn't really do any favors for this show because it still looks kind of like a dvd so maybe if i had dug out my crt tv and plugged in a dvd player it would have looked like the the most crisp and clean thing yes yeah it's Um, not it's not a great looking show but again that's that's only a small small part of it uh, the overall piece I, i wouldn't knock it too many points just for that no, can I backtrack two seconds? Yeah, go for it. Um, Bill Only said it didn't. 
<laughs> Bill said it didn't remind him of a ghost story, but I laugh because um, the last couple episodes I was watching, especially the the one that I want to point out later, um, it was just straight up reminding me of Candyman, where more so not a ghost, but like an urban legend and the way information yeah. spreads. And I don't know, I guess because maybe I've just so recently rewatched Candyman, but that kind of was in the back of my mind of like, haha, like little suckers like Candyman, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, so. that's, that's absolutely what the show's about. Mm-hmm. The, go- the ghosts are the paranoid agents that we are ourselves along the way. yeah i mean i guess it's a ghost story in the sense that like the ghost is like the thing within us that we can't accept or something like that and it Mm -hmm. it just haunts us in that regard it's like a different kind of haunting rather than like a malevolent spirit but but i guess in in a way it's like you're kind of creating the malevolent spirit within yourself whenever you've got you know these like regrets or these things that you can't let go of or take responsibility for or what have you and that's generally the whole Mm -hmm. thesis statement of the show but um, right, and um, you give it power if you acknowledge it in the unhealthy way. Right, or or refuse to acknowledge it and, and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but I guess just for me, broadly speaking, I did I did like it. I don't think I really, I didn't really, I wasn't really blown away in kind of like a shock and awe sense that I have been towards other Satoshi Kon works, and I think I lay part of that blame again on the visuals because it's not his most visually creative work uh you know outside of the the fidelity i don't think that really applies here necessarily Mm -hmm. but it's 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 a lot more it's a lot more utilitarian and it's visual aesthetic i mean you definitely still have those iconic like satoshi Kon flares of the way that he does like jump like jump cuts and like you don't know what you're looking at until like the camera pulls out and you see that you're actually looking on a tv screen or there's like these uh these match cuts that he uses a lot to do scene transitions like all of that's still there but it's not quite as concentrated and like beating you over the head with it as he does in other in other works which i guess is uh ironic in in a way i don't need to explain (laughs) well i think what also is the reason why the fidelity isn't so good is because of their very tight deadlines like they talk about in the audio commentaries that they were under immense (laughs) immense deadlines to get stuff done where they were using previous assets like in the opening sequence they reuse one of the background shots i think of the subway uh, from Tokyo Godfathers in the uh, parano- mm-hmm. Paranoia Agent mm-hmm. opening. And they talked about how for the yeah. opening, they had one week to do uh, key animation drawing, and then another week wow. to do all the filming process. And that the opening sequence has less than 100 cells in the opening. Um, so they tried to keep things simple and as quick as they could because they were coming most of the staff that worked on paranoid were coming from the movie uh from the movie side of things so so i have to applaud them for having to meet these tough deadlines because in a movie you have a bit more time to add more flourish to visuals and uh beam have a little more panache whereas in tv series unless you're given a long lead time you have deadlines you gotta meet and, and so they're uh, corners that are cut and and uh, compromises that have to be made well I'll, I'll say that their their effort on the opening even under tight conditions paid off in spades because 
I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself, but if I if I could use the opening as like my one iconic scene from the whole thing that I would pick, I easily would, even though I won't, but I would. <laughs> it's uh, it's funny you mentioned that there's only uh, what a hundred cells because it really is just looping animation of them laughing. So I can yeah. see how it saves a lot of time. It doesn't look like it does because the backgrounds, like the the mushroom cloud and all that, like it looks wild. But those are all still frames. It's just the laughing animation that is really animated. That's kind of funny. I never never would have considered that. <laughs> I guess uh, to go to go to Austin's point though, um, uh, yeah, like in retrospect, I can see why it doesn't is not as cool, like wild as as something like uh, parts of Perfect Blue or later Paprika. But I think what really makes this work and still feel really wild to me is just the music. Like I can't really understate how as much as important as Khan is to the DNA of Paranoid Agent, uh, so much of the music just adds to that creepiness, man. Mm-hmm. Even even beyond the opening mm-hmm. and the ending, which are wild in themselves, like the interstitial music is just, it's it's genuinely creepy, man. Like just mm-hmm. cre- creeps me out listening to the music and that adds to the suspense and the tension. Like we don't know what Little Slugger is. Is he, is he a person? Is he a human? Is he a ghost? Is he literally just a figment of uh, Tsukiko's imagination? The music really puts you on edge in a a great way. Mm -hmm. And one thing I think that also adds to that feeling of anxiety as well is the the interstitial like, uh, what do you call it, the eye catches that would go to commercials Mm -hmm. where they're all Mm -hmm. like sketchy and you're hearing that like staticky sound in, in your head. I think that, you know, that right there, like no matter which episode it is, like if, if something super stressful is going on or something a little bit lighter, those always remind you that, you know, something spooky, scary is kind of like just around the corner or something that's going to give you a, uh, a uh, existential crisis. Very sinister. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And while we can talk about the show, whether it is or is not a ghost story, like the, the reason it can be a conclusion is that it is it is framed as a horror as a thriller story whether or not you consider it that that's definitely the vibes con is going for to some degree and that's backed up with the music with those eye catches for instance and the way oh, things yeah. are framed i don't think there's any question that that's exactly what he was going for i mean he was kind of using the the medium of you know horror and thriller in a way to to you know mm-hmm. tell some sort of a you know broad social commentary which is again kind of a hallmark of all of his works like he's a very generally a quite thoughtful creator in the sense that he all he throughout most of his works he wanted to signal something more about like a universal truth than just making you know cool cartoons even though he is also very good at just making cool cartoons I guess the other thing to talk about the visuals is that I I guess you just kind of have to like understand that's where we were at the time. Yeah. Uh, beforehand, when these were actually you know cells being put on film, all those are really easy to like remaster and make look you know to to remake them in a way that looks good on like 1080p or 4K or what have you. But there's that awkward period in the early 2000s, which Paranoid Asian is, is smack dab in the middle of, where they were doing digital work for standard definition TV. And what you get is flat faces, thick lines, uh, really awful looking people. 
<laughs> and there's really not much you can do with standard uh, like remastering technology. There's just unfortunately it's just a part of that era where you kind of have to put up with put up with that. There's really not much you can yeah. do. Mm-hmm. And it, and it it's gives fun. it a certain yeah, it gives it a certain character though. I think like mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah for sure. It it definitely is nostalgic in a way. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> You know, this was a couple of years later, but, you know, always watching stuff from this particular era always reminds me of the first time I watched Death Note, which also has kind of that same <laughs> feeling, even though Death Note, I think, is a little bit more visually sophisticated, but it still has that very, like, uh, early digital animation, like, we're capped at 480p and making it any bigger is just stretching it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, I guess um, I guess one thing that's that's kind of interesting about this show that I, I mean, I don't really know that I had really any expectations going in other than like this is Satoshi Khan and it's about some paranoid agents and a kid with a bat. I really didn't have any expectations going in. But one thing that I was fascinated by is the general story structure. So like we start off and, you know, in the first episode our 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 POV character for at least that episode with Soggy is, you know, attacked by Little Slugger. And then that's sort of the inciting incident for the rest of the show. And then we spend a few episodes following the detectives who are uh, trying to find out the, the, the situation behind Soggy's case and follow up on this <clears throat> assailant named Little Slugger while we also follow other people who also get attacked by Little Slugger. And then the show kind of puts itself on pause for a minute and we do some like side story episodes and then we come back to the end with this sort of big bombastic finale. And I don't know what I expected, but I didn't expect that. So what do you guys think about the broad structure of the way that this show plays out? It is uh, definitely an anthology series for sure. Um, I I think we mentioned way back at the beginning that these were all sort of half-formed ideas that Khan didn't have you know, exactly. He didn't have a full movie in Paranoia Agent, but he had a couple different stories he wanted to tell. It absolutely shows. Like, he could have possibly did a, a movie of the central uh, Tsukiko Maromi story, but so much of the other little things, like the three ghosts and, uh, like, the, the, the what, uh, et cetera, the one episode with the... Um, the housewives that are gossiping. There's so many little yeah. stories that sort of the, add together. The audacity to do an anthology in an anthology, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is true. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it works. It is certainly a little different. The only other anthological thing he had done was, like Bill mentioned earlier, Memories, but that doesn't really quite count since he holds like one part. Yeah. And uh, uh, it, it's distinct. All of Khan's small, small work are you know, distinct in their own particular ways. Um, Paranoia Agent, even if it doesn't necessarily hold up in, um, you know, fidelity, uh, visual fidelity, I think it holds up in other ways. And this is certainly one of them. It's story structure. It's, it kind of reminds me of Kaiba in a way. Um, you can go yeah. back to that episode where there is an overarching story, but at least in the early parts of Kaiba, those stories are very about the individual situation that the main characters are in. And it's kind of the same way with Paranoia Agent, where in one episode we'll focus on this um, kid who's the most popular kid in school and him dealing with the ramifications of being seen as potentially uh, shown in bad. Or, or another episode where we will deal uh, 
with uh, three uh, three people that want to end their lives and how that episode is very much like a black comedy. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's kind of funny because I, I, that's the way they initially planned it where the main story was they had about like seven episodes that would make up the main story and three episodes that they were going to do as like little side stories. And then I guess the remainder was going to be the finale is how they came out to structure it. But um, right. no, I, I like the structure a lot because um, I, like I've talked about in my anthologies panel, when you're, when you have a limited amount of time that forces you to be more creative in your storytelling. So, and in each of these stories, we explore different aspects of um, these people and their flaws or kind of their dark underbelly that they're dealing with. And it's like a little mini play with each of these individual stories that I really grew to like a lot. So I guess going off of in, in that regard, sort of like what what stories within this broader story really stood out to you guys the most? Like I think one that we could probably all agree with that is very striking because of how different it is from everything else is of course like the uh, the side story with the suicide pact. And uh, again, I don't I don't know that much about this, but it's been my general understanding that like online suicide pacts were kind of a thing in Japan for a while. Like yep, yep, yep. <laughs> if you guys remember Welcome to the NHK, like that anime series and uh, light novel series that it's based on, they have a whole arc about that too. Um, and that was from a similar time period as as Paranoia Agent. So I think that was just kind right. of a a thing that was going on in Japan and. I, I definitely think that that episode was really interesting now because like you don't really see much modern anime like talk about this thing much anymore but that was a thing for a minute so I think that 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 story really stands out but uh but what do you guys think of you know sort of beyond that one I think for me the other one that I mean that that is my favorite episode just because it's very it, it's a dark comedy right like bill said that that one always stuck with me and then you slowly realize and then the girl at the end is just like i don't want to be alone and i'm like okay we've all been there um but that one the one with the housewife's gossiping like when i think of this show for some reason that's like the iconic episode for me um because it just says so much about like the way japanese society kind of works and like how you know people chat amongst each other and i mean it's not not like specific to them but just kind of society as a general in general and then i think with this rewatch not necessarily the episode but the scene that stuck out to me um was the detective's wife and she was telling Mm -hmm. her story and like little slugger kept getting bigger and bigger in front of her but she's like i won't you know let you do this to me and i'm choosing to you know no longer feel like i want to die and things like that and i don't that that stuck with me real real like mm-hmm. a lot this time so yeah, i that, think that particular my... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i think that particular episode is kind of like oh this is this is what the show is about the scene in a way yes exactly or like, right <laughs> or like this is like because I think the the ending is a little bit depressing, but that particular scene is kind of like, well, this is the good, this is the positive takeaway from the show right here, mm-hmm. like very mm-hmm. much on display. So uh, yeah, that that really stood out to me too. It's just like, oh, little slugger 
is the things that you let destroy you. But if yes. you don't let those things destroy you, then little slugger can't hit you with his bat. Right, like, yeah. broke me first time watching this. Damn, I really need Little Slugger to take one and, like, knock me out. Woke me <laughs> now is like, no, I'm good, actually. Thank you. <laughs> I guess it is interesting, yeah, think... you know. Oh, go ahead. No, finish your thought. Yeah, I was like, well, Little Slugger's, his kind of purpose kind of grows with the show and, like, his intensity yes. grows with the show because, like, in the very beginning, like, I mean, we find out details later that, that kind of contradict this, but, like, when he assaults uh, Sagi, it's just like, oh, he hits her and breaks her leg or something. But, like, by the end of the show, he's just, like, turning into a monster and just, like, killing entire swaths of of the Tokyo City block. So it, it's kind of, you know, he grows in intensity, you know, as the show progresses to sort of show, like... You know, both both the narrative ex- escalation and the fact that, like, oh, society is, like, on this, like, on this negative uh, track where, you know, all of its worst elements are just keep getting worse and worse until it, like, eats mm-hmm. itself. But So when we look at, like, the show, we talked about the anthology aspect, but so much of the first half is pretty much telling one story. And once a, a certain character dies... And they realize things aren't quite what they seem. The show does a couple different episodes like the gossip, like the detective's wife, where it doesn't really matter so much if Little Slugger is one person. Mm-hmm. It's, it's building on the idea of being cornered. And let's mm-hmm. let's look at different people that are also cornered uh, that are not necessarily the people we've been following in the story the whole time. Uh, the detective's wife episode was great. I loved that. I loved a lot of those parts where we see the detective himself. Yeah, as he is working his little dead in security job, and he like meets the guy that he put in jail, the robber that he put in jail, and he starts to fall into the trap of nostalgia and burying himself in this the the old way, you know, back when he was a kid, how the world was so much simpler, and the police and the relationship that the police have with criminals was so much simpler than anything else i really respected really liked the those scenes in particular <clears throat> yeah like he has that I, monologue I really, where he talks about you know whenever i was a kid i thought it was just you know the robbers with the with the what was it the the burlap sacks burlap and sacks. i was just gonna exactly. and i was gonna chase them down and rescue them and get applause from everybody but in real life it just doesn't work out that way i really i really like the anime episode too uh, i generally don't like those kind of episodes they seem to be a little like navel gazy like here we're making an anime about anime and let's kind of make in jokes and stuff like it's been played out shirabaka did it well you know i know this came before but it's not not jilly my favorite episodes however i really liked how this felt almost like a serial murder mystery mm-hmm. with yeah every time this guy disappoints somebody and they freak out they'd suddenly die and how they, the episode just kind of well, they didn't report to work today. And there's a little sign on the desk that says, don't look for me. <laughs> you know? right. Really kind of eerie. And I, and that sort of serial killer sort of way. And that, that I, was great too, because it, you know, it, it sort of, it had that, it had that through line where, you know, in this, while little slugger is getting more intense in his ability to maim and kill, at the same time, the character Maromi is also getting more and more and more and more popular. 
and then sort of both of those things literally collide into each other in the finale episode but uh you know episode 10 where they're making the maromi cartoon is sort of you know it, it it's like it's like they're making that cartoon about this this character that people really love but you're seeing like all this internal you know strife and turmoil and pain and literally death that goes into making you know an anime project like this and of course this is exaggerated but but is it really because the anime industry is pretty brutal in that regard so i definitely think there was some commentary going on there as well for sure i think the two episodes that stuck with me and just the theme that really stuck with me with the show is this kind of a that I grew to like the individual episodes more than the overall mystery of Little Slugger, where to the end I was kind of like, I don't really care about that. <laughs> I, I more cared about the individual stories, just because they were really interesting little plays. And But just the show can get really dark at points. Like the two, mm-hmm. the, dark, the darkest episodes that stuck out to me was one with the kid, who at first you think he's really nice. He's Mr. Popular. Everyone in the school loves him. But then because he wears golden state, golden skates, he is suspected to be little slugger. And then he just becomes so desperate to maintain his status and to maintain his, his high totem pole where he is just really mean and really cruel to this, um, to this kid that is um, not in the best of shape, even though that that kid who's who's overweight is actually really kind and is trying to be supportive, and because his his imagination goes wild um, with with fear and speculation, he he becomes ir- irrational in his thinking and just is desperate to maintain his perch. Or the other one that was probably the darkest, which I can't well, I'm surprised they got away with, was the the friend of the police detective, the main one, who mm-hmm. you first you think like, oh, he's he's he really cares about his family, he really cares about his daughter, and but mm-hmm. then you later learn like, oh no, he works for the mob. To. Uh, initially for a good goal of getting money for his family but then he kind of became a lech enjoying the higher things of life to where at some point we 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 think we see that he set up invasive video cameras of his daughter which is completely gross and i just like wow i can't believe he did that and it's just it's a weird subversion of what we initially think of him and it's just like a darker, more evil flip side of yeah, I'm um, glad you, when, I'm we, glad you when brought, we first meet him. When we first yeah. meet him. I'm really glad you brought that episode up because I definitely think that was probably the darkest point in the whole show. And uh, Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because that, that episode was like just so heartbreaking because like, like out of all the characters that, you know, because there's, there's also the other big theme in this show about like, you know, taking responsibility for your life and not blaming other people on your problems but like that's the one where it's like pretty clear that it's kind of the complete opposite like i think the whole you know what what pushed her into the corner thing is that she wanted to jump off the bridge and kill herself because of all those horrible things that she found out that her dad was doing and i'm just like 
well, I guess that's kind of the, that's like the little slugger angle that they have there. But like, I don't think there's anything ambiguous about like, you know, there was nothing that she was doing wrong there. It's just like her, no, her she misery. No, she was completely innocent. Right, yeah. exactly. It's like she, she was and just a completely innocent victim of, you know, her, her dad's like horrible, hor horrible actions that drove her to want to kill herself, which is really heartbreaking. And the resolution and the resolution of that, it matches that. The other characters, when they get hit by Little Slugger, like uh, Tsukiko, when she mm -hmm. gets hit, she's absolved from, you know, she's 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 the victim now. She's mm -hmm. not, um, you know, she, she's excused from work duties for a bit. You know, she's right. uh, freed from her, um, from the issue at hand. But in, in Taiko's case, she forgets. She's yes. completely empty. And like, that's, that's what it was. Like, she put having that knowledge that this was going on, the horror of a situation, the fact that she couldn't go back to this home, this home that was this, you know, monolithic thing that her, her father and her family had worked toward, that everything was built on a lie. The only way out of that was just to completely forget. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's, right. that's mm -hmm. what happens. Like they go okay. completely, completely amnesia. And I think that's kind of interesting to see the way her dad sits there with her after that. Like you don't know if she's gonna remember that or yeah, you know, have the memories come back. So like, what what does he add? Does he really get to escape from the the personal hell that he made by having this fear of this uh, amnesiac daughter? Well, he I yeah. I do like that. From what I remember of that episode, is he faces the consequences of his actions, where this one mob guy is like just keeps raising the debt on him that he has to pay off because mm -hmm. you've been enjoying the finer things and going to strip clubs off our uh off this deal and now it's time to pay up and then later the house that's the monolith of this the symbol gets destroyed after mm. it's almost nearly complete so the symbol right. of his Ooh, yes. um by a by his... like a landslide or something right yeah yeah like she's She's on the bridge, right? And she's like, I just want it all to disappear. And then, like, it cuts to the house getting destroyed. Am I remembering right. that correctly? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Something okay. like that. Yeah, that must have been. Oh, that was really good. I like that. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I do like that. the Because they, they could have gone even darker and let him just escape at the end. But no, he faced comeuppets for his horrible actions mm -hmm. as the episode progressed. True. I thought it was an interesting self callback because I wrote this down specifically in my notes that whenever Tayako, you know, comes out of uh, of being, you know, in her coma, she looks at her dad and she says, "Excuse me, who are you?" Which I'm sure yes. Satoshi Khan <laughs> intended to be a nod back to Perfect Blue because that's like the line that uh, uh, Mima in Perfect Blue has to say in like her. Um, her acting her first acting gig like she says it over and over and over again so i'm i'm sure that that was a fun little a little callback there <laughs> No, I want to. I want to ask one thing that that kind of uh, you brought up in in our in the notes 
yeah let's is do it. the puzzle box is the puzzle box aspect of of the mystery of the show and people people kind of have a love hate relationship with a with a puzzle box format because it's a big mystery and as the show progresses it gives you hints and and some people were like desperate to like i want to know the answers give me the answers and then at some shows it can execute that very well some shows have have a history or have uh, are are notorious for failing like in like the last 20 years probably lost if anyone remembers that show, it's probably the, bi- wow. the biggest. Does thing. anyone remember Lost? <laughs> Real <laughs> Lost hours up in here, boys. Yeah, I think it, it is interesting, like the the puzzle box nature of it. I guess because I guess at first glance, you know, the first like arc, you could say it's like it feels like it's very much going to be like a police procedural. Like we're specifically going to follow these cops, you know, trying to track down Little Slugger. And like as I was watching those episodes, I was just like. I don't know if I really want this show to be like a police procedural necessarily, but then I'm glad that it kind of subverted that and it ended up not being that. It's just like the cops ended up being like not our main POV characters, but just like, you know, actors on this stage along with everyone else. Like they, they, they're not in control. They're sort of like, you know, victims of, you know, the little slugger mania, rather than being sort of the third party, just sort of investigative perspective, trying to track down who he is and what he wants. So I I enjoyed that subversion, but I I guess for some people, maybe if they don't like things being subverted, they might not like that. But people that don't like that are probably (laughs) not going to watch the show anyway. Marvel movie watchers. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say with puzzle box shows is just like you don't want all the answers and i i love this quote from the 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 audio commentary thing is uh in the first episode they talk about how people were anal how fans were analyzing the show and like analyzing the opening and (laughs) khan says they will never get an answer no matter how hard they try (laughs) to analyze it (laughs) well good and you should never hand it to them even 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 creators of puzzle box formats of shows or movies don't always know the answers. It's always just like it's how you interpret the answer. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, as, I, as far as I see it, the the aspect of the show that's a puzzle box. If we hyper focus on this particular thing, Paranoid Agent is not good at this. I do not come to the show for a lost sort of you know what's going on here. What's really what's really happening. It really keys off when the boy dies yeah. and those like are still going on. And then the episodes after kind of, they're just, they're antho- you know, more like an anthology thing. It's obvious that's not really where the series is doing Mm-mm. and the way that it ends with there are these big ghosts, you know, those like are this big old black blob and Maromi, you know, it's, I, I don't, I know that yes, in Canon in story, that that all happened because they reference it in the ending scene, but I don't really consider that real, and that's not really what the show is about. So it's it's funny to hear you talk about Khan almost like um, like taunting these type of people that love this <laughs> this type of show. You know, you're never going to understand it. Well, no shit, because there's nothing to understand. <laughs> like it is cut and dry. It is about responsibility yeah. and um, escapism and all that other stuff. It it doesn't matter. 
But you but little Tobias, is but, or isn't. But Tobias, nerds overanalyze and overthink, and this show probably would cause if <laughs> if you first saw it, they're probably overanalyzing and overthinking every little minutia that's happening when it really doesn't mean anything. So I mean, I'm sure, um, but like, I, I don't really feel like this ties in the same way other series would. Go ahead. Yeah, I personally would love to have a 30 minute side tangent conversation about the uh, Christian symbolism in Evangelion, please. <laughs> oh, it's extremely in important in the paranoia agent episode. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's I mean, the thing Eva, too. Eva I mean, at least gives you a bunch of stuff that you know, if sure that's not the best way to read it, but like there's enough little you know ticky tack little crunchy stuff in Ava that you could go down that path. Yeah, that does not exist in paranoia agent outside no. of the first like few episodes. Like I think you, I'll go ahead finish. Uh, I was gonna just gonna say you know, if you if if you came to the show with that impression. The point where the little boy, the boy dies, that's the, that was the death knell to the show yeah. making sense in the traditional sense, in a literal sense. Right. And I don't, I don't think this show is like, ooh, super deep. Like it, mm. it definitely requires a little, um, a little bit of, I guess, advanced media literacy. Like, of course, like you want to think outside the box. Like it's definitely not like a bare surface level show. There are things mm. to, be thought about here but this show is it like the like the pinnacle of that you know what i mean is that if, does that make if sense if you yeah. if if you have the understanding you know probably most people that would watch this show probably do but if you have the understanding that like sometimes art and stories are intended to deliver themes rather than like plot based stories then i think you'll be fine yes. here cuz like right, yeah, it's yeah. it's it's it perfectly outlines what the show is about even if like you don't know what little slugger really is at the end of the day it's just like well yeah you do you 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 get you can understand what little slugger is like it's a it's It's a it's a symbol right and it's not so confusing that i think the show would be a turnoff to a person yeah because if you just sit and like take in the context of everything else and think about it for like 0.5 seconds longer than you might have to start with. It's pretty straightforward what it's doing. I don't think it's like, ooh, we have to write like 30 page dissertations on it or anything. But and that's like, <laughs> but that's you not should. a knock either. Like, oh, for sure. Yeah. For all of you out there that have written 30 page dissertations on Paranoia Agent, uh, we love you. Thank you for your work. <laughs> yes. Yes. I would love to read them. Please, please send them to me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, mean, I think you, there's a, there's enough meat here where you could talk about what it's saying. It's just not a matter of a puzzle box format. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm saying. It's a good show. It's no lost, and it doesn't. Mm-hmm. It's not really trying to be lost. I can see where the type <laughs> of people that like this type of thing could try to force that format on it. Um, but you're going to be dissatisfied. And once I realized that it wasn't that, I I, I didn't really turn my brain off. I turned mm-hmm. that part of my brain off. You know. And well, like let's one... put it in in an example our audience would understand. Um, it's no Higurashi where you spend one whole season trying to figure out what the hell's happening and then have to watch a whole second season to actually sort of get answers to everything that's happening in the first season. It was about the cicadas that cried along the way. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a couple things here that I, I think that, you know, it, my limited personal understanding probably could be more enriched by people that know more than I do. Like, like what what things are is this tapping into in Japanese society that maybe we as, you know, American Westerners in 2022 just miss? 
just by like having can, not been there and not growing up in that culture like that would be really also interesting to learn interject i i will say kind of piggybacking off of what you just said one big thing that i notice is a miss in this show is that there are no translations of a lot of the text in the background that provides very important context clues to what is happening in the story so i would like to shout out google lens for pulling me through several of these episodes <laughs> because you are missing so much of the story by not getting what is in those like web posts and newspaper articles and things like that. So oh, slight tangent, yeah. but sort of related. Well, do you have I any actually, examples? I would love to know. Yes. This, this, um, the suicide episode. The, the suicide, suicide episode. episode. I literally had to play five seconds pause and like <laughs> I could read very little of it, not enough to actually understand the full sentence. So I was like pausing opening google lens with its like shoddy translation but i was like oh okay they're talking about like using the barbecue um smoke okay yes that's a very popular method of suicide in certain places okay cool and then they cut to that next so like but you're still missing like the suicide one was a big one because um one of the users was basically like walking them through the different methods of ending their lives and like yeah. that's kind of important to the story right <laughs> F follow, follow up to that i will say since i know you were watching it on crunchyroll the funimation yeah. blu-ray subtitles do have that it may okay, not be cool it may not be for everything but i distinctly remember yeah. having no trouble like they subtitled all of the chat room <laughs> that's instant messages yeah. Yeah, okay, on the Funimation Blu-ray, so I, I will say yeah. that if it's if that's not on Crunchyroll, then that's a big problem, and they should fix no, that it immediately. No, it isn't the the dub. And listen, I gotta get on my soapbox because you know I complain about this all the time. There are no dub titles on the English dub on Crunchyroll, so I'm like literally a TV up to fifty. And, like, they'll be speaking really quietly, and then, like, the next scene is, like, some really loud noise. It, it was terrible. Like, <laughs> I hate that. More I mean, more places need to be better about that, because it, it's just, like, I don't know. Uh, frustrating. Twitter, yeah. Twitter clapping emoji. Normalize dub titles. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Because I'm a big dub liker, and I also like to watch things with subtitles, but anime is the right. worst of all. In that most of the time they only have one subtitle option and it's the Japanese subs. And sometimes, looking at you, Sentai, you cannot even put on both at the same time if you're playing off of the disc. Because for some reason, the video file with the subtitles is burned in and the video <laughs> file without it is not. And it's very frustrating. But anyway, I will, so, I, uh, I, di I digress. Um, another thing that I. Accessibility. Right, accessibility. And, um, Another thing that I think would be interesting to learn about from somebody that's smarter than me is like the connections back to kind of like World War Two, because, you know, the the uh, the vision of the, the mushroom cloud has like a very distinct meaning to the people of Japan for reasons that hopefully should be obvious. Uh, and that's a big sort of uh, motif in the opening. And then the police chief has that, you know, one-off comment at the last episode of, like, seeing the the ravaged town, you know, after the big Maromi slash Little Slugger monsoon or whatever, and he makes that note about, like, oh, this is just, like, what it was like after the war, and I'm just like, hmm, mm -hmm. is there more World War II commentary in here that maybe I'm missing because I don't know? Uh, that would be that would be something interesting to, uh, to look into further. I think Colin mm. brought that up in the Q&A that's on the Blu-ray. 
Where... Oh, really? So are you saying that we should watch the Q&A that's on the Blu-ray that you've mentioned many times? Why, yes, Austin. I'm saying you should look at the bonus features because it gives you a lot of context. <laughs> wow, William. So, so we're going to have you. an... We're gonna, we're gonna have an affiliate link to the the <laughs> Amazon store in the show notes, right? We can make some money off Bill. <laughs> Amazon, please. This is a right stuff household. Does right stuff? Do we have a right stuff affiliate? If not, Probably right not. stuff, Crunchyroll, Sony, yeah, whoever. Like, we're, we're listening. You've you've got enough money. Before we got on like three or four different tangents, he talked about how does Paranoid Agent? What does that hold up in a twenty twenty two? Uh, American audience, and I emphatically say yes. Ooh, same. Uh, because, I agree. Because one of the things that really stood out to me, I think that I, I heard, um, if, if you haven't been listening to the Matt All Patrick Massey's podcast, Pure Tokioscope, you should do that uh, because one of the first things he mentions, uh, Matt Ald wrote the book, Pure Invention, uh, maybe like a year or two ago. And he mentions sort of the central thesis of his, his work is the fact that when we talk about Japanese culture, they are not different than us. They are merely ahead of us. That if you look at you know Japan and Japanese culture of 10, 15, 20 years ago, that's where we're at now. They're not different. They're just ahead of the curve. And so much of what we see here with, I mean, <laughs> I, I you have to compare this not only to like Hello Kitty, uh, Marumi to Hello Kitty, but Marumi <laughs> to... Like idol culture in general, don't I couldn't you, help but think. Don't you dare say Paranoid Funko Asian, Pops. No, I was gonna say if Paranoid <laughs> Agent were made today, you know who Maromi would be? Who's that? She would Maromi would be Miku Hatsune. <laughs> you leave her out of this. I thought <laughs> no, no. Miku is exactly what Maromi is. No, a non-character. No, 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 Miku, no, 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 no. Miku, no, no. I'm gonna go down this path because this is what I find so weirdly fascinating about Miku. Miku is an instrument. However, over the past, what, 15 years of her existence, she's been made into a goddess. A hundred years from now, when archaeologists are unearthing the remains of America or even Japan, and they you know, unearth our technology and our, our documents, they're going to see characters like Miku, and they're going to think that we worshipped her as a goddess. Yeah. And I'm not joking about that. That's I'm dead fucking serious. Like we talk about idol culture flippantly and how this or that, but it is wildly fascinating that we actually treat these people, these characters, these what have you as actual religious idols. And that is what the center of the show is talking about. Romy is not just a little dog. Romy is a figure that people dump their anxieties and their fears onto. Romy is a comfort to these people and that's what we see in the last few episodes where Maromi suddenly takes you know becomes really huge and suddenly people are like uh robbing stores with Maromi merchandise and i think there's like an interview with uh, a couple girls that are just like all we care about is Maromi that's all we care about <laughs> and you, you mentioned earlier that Maromi is the opposite the other side of the coin to little slugger and that is exactly what this show is trying to say if Maromi is this balm for the masses then Little Slugger is both this, this this evil, devilish, satanic force, but also is frees people. It is also what Mar- it, uh, Little Slugger also does, what Maromi does, and that it frees people from this responsibility. And that's just so fascinating that we see that happen. Yeah. This is this is um you know Japan in the 2020s, uh, the 2000s. This is where we're at now. We have these figures. I mean, hell, like 
let's be honest, that's what Donald Trump was. Like, mm-hmm. nobody gives a shit about what Donald Trump actually was saying. He was a figurehead to people, and people mm-hmm. could dump their their anxieties, whether we well, say their anxieties are racist and awful and terrible, which they were, but whether or not that's true, they still had anxieties, and they were dumping them as, mm-hmm. on what these political figures mm-hmm. Are doing and there's there's something to be said about nostalgia there too with uh with with um paranoia agent and sort of the the appeal of of, of trump and his time it's just like he was appealing to you know s- people that were specifically nostalgic for sort of this in their minds and I- a more idyllic country rather than facing the fears and anxieties that they have about the modern day and that's sort of what he took advantage of uh in a in a negative sense to sort of rise to power well, to a to a larger to, to continue down the tangent road, it's a Romy is a parasocial and ever use word the parasocial mm-hmm. relationship where people glom onto a personality, a figure that really has no personality, or if they do have a personality, they only show you certain aspects of their personality, mm-hmm. and that could be with like an online. A following, whether that be a, a YouTube person or a VTuber. Or, <laughs> I mean, I'm uh, telling you, man, I've gone beyond. Like, VTubering was kind of cute when Kizuna I was doing it, and you know, in the first wave, I'm, I'm actually kind of freaked out by VTubing now, man. I'm gonna I'll put that out there because the the way I've seen people actually literally like watch all VTubers constantly and like know the lore and donate yeah. to them. That that. That that is exactly what Maromi is like on the yeah. dot, and it is. I I kind of get it because we're in a fucked up time, like in twenty twenty and the pandemic and all that other stuff. I, I'm not going to blame people for you know finding their escapism when they need it, but it is in the back of my mind extremely worrying to see this sort of behavior extend to people and fake people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like well, well, at least with Miku, right? She's a blank canvas, and that's what so many creators use her for. They make all these different versions of her. So like at least it's they're doing something creative with it, I guess, rather than just weirdly funneling <laughs> money into somebody who's actually hiding behind <laughs> an avatar. I I don't know, but and hey, oh, yeah. she, like hey, using Vocaloid is good. Hey, and these this, these VTubers haven't performed on David Letterman like Miku. Did. Mm. Yes, exactly. Like Checkmate. I'm about to go run and cover the ears of all my little Miku figures. Like, don't listen. He doesn't mean it. <laughs> well, I mean, like as as a creative thing, like that's fine. Like the people that do VTubing, those are real people, and they that's how they make their money. And like you know, Twitch sucks. We can go on a whole thing about Twitch and sexism and all that stuff. And if that's how a group of women are making money, then hell yes, make that bank. I hate the fact that it's had to come to that in a lot of ways, but mm-hmm. you know, do what you need to do. And I appreciate the fact that Vocaloid is is is, is an instrument. It's a canvas that people can use to make music. But just the sort of like Miku's not real. Like no, but but she's real in people, my heart. Well, the, the people, the way that people talk about her songs as if she did it, like, no, yes. like, there are other real people that made the songs they are using her, you know, you don't say this is, uh, you know, a song by Trumpet. Trumpet didn't make the song, <laughs> you know, Miku is a trumpet. That's really what it is. And, oh, you know, it's God. fine. Like, again, I have no problem with Miku as she exists, but the way that people treat her as a real person, yes. that's what kind of freaks me out. And that's what we're seeing here in Paranoia Asia. Mm-hmm. Now, that, before, that, before... That, you're you're worried about the that line of just like it's not just an entertainment product it's something more personable and more emotionally connected 
And before, exactly, yeah. Before I before I cut off this train of thought to pivot to the end, I will say we don't worship Miku because you know she's got a, got a nice design and she makes cool music, whatever. We do it because she invented Minecraft. There we go. Checkmate. Exactly. <laughs> but see, I can pivot it back because they also do kind of make com- more commentary about that in the show. I mean, there was that like otaku guy who was making all oh. those figures and he had to like have those figures watching him do whatever it was that he did and like lived vicariously through those figures and things like that Absolutely. so yes that was right. weird mm-hmm. that was a weird yeah, where they had the um the, the the policeman that goes down the rabbit hole where each of the figures like like something out of like a 70s show where the, like one one heals him as the as like a a sexy nurse and another one is the tech person that gives him like mm. some information and it's kind of a weird blending of just like your like what Stefan does really well, well of just that it, blending of, of reality and fantasy of like do you have mm-hmm. a real are you really talking to these people or is this all just in your head and you you have this fake relationship with these figures that have no personalities whatsoever Oh, it's it's absolutely a matter of escapism, and Khan knew the otaku subculture back then, and that's only increased now, Japan and worldwide. America, we actually have an otaku subculture, whether you call it otaku or incel or whatever buzzword we've got now. Like, it's still a fantasy that we're living in that people cannot escape from, and fantasy can be great. It can be that balm that we need to relieve stress, but there are lines that get crossed, and here it is. You know, he has these figures that he he treats as reality. We see the uh, detective as he he has he's a like a ham radio guy, and the idea of hearing information and sharing information feels very much like a like a proto internet a proto internet addict, where he's so obsessed with with being connected with other people. All these characters have fantasies they live in, and they refuse to accept that and come back to the real world. Yeah, the, fin- and, the finale the where they. The finale where Maroni presents um, our two main our, ma- our two main leads like you can live in this fake reality and it's your world you can just live in it and when the the main cop finds out that his wife is dying he just says no I I can't mm-hmm. live in this fake world anymore I have to accept reality because that is what's happening and I have to be the mm-hmm. the one person that's been with me through thick and thin and and stick with her because if i abandon her to live in this fantasy land then what am i admitting to myself mm-hmm. especially because he encouraged her not to do that so right right exactly yeah and you know there's a there's a lot to be said you know about general broad otaku stuff as well but you know we could also have a conversation here about like you know a lot of the way that little slugger sort of increased in his power and his popularity is the fact that like everybody through the media cycle and through like gossip and etc like that they could not stop talking about little slugger and like his uh mm-hmm. his influence and his crimes and etc etc and there's something to be said about our fascination with true crime but i won't have that conversation today <laughs> Do not get me on that soapbox because, oh, boy, am I still pissed. <laughs> She's a, I've already already attacked Miki. Let's not. I, I no, don't, don't. Mm-mm. No, you're no, gonna no, see a side is, of me you're not gonna like. No, this this <laughs> is not this is not about attacking anyone or whatever. It's just like it's all about balance mm-hmm. and you know all all these all these ways that we distract ourselves from from you know the modern world or the things that we've got to do. It's like they're not inherently bad so long as they don't take over your life. Thank you. Goodbye. Exactly. 
Exactly. Yes. And so much of this is like mania. I keep getting mania. And the, the ending is everybody, not just our main principles, but everybody in the setting is suddenly overcome with Maromi fever and Little Slugger fear. That it, it's mania. It's it's the same the same tulip mania stuff, just in a different aspect. Suddenly they these fears are so palpable that they become real. And mm-hmm. whether they are literally real, like as happened to the paranoid agent, are just you know, so socially affecting as they can be in the real life. It, it's, it's, it's back before memes were a thing before they became really popular. Like the, the word meme means something. It is a repeated idea, not just a funny picture with the impact font that you share with your, you know, your discord and internet friends. Like this show is about memes and how, how virality and how they can spread. And I think again, for a show coming out in 2005, <laughs> Very easily touches upon where we're at now as as a as a culture as a society. Honestly, mm-hmm. well, and also a lot of the stuff that's the basis of paranoia is the basis of like the modern internet. Like a lot of the stuff that was just early days in like two thousand five, two thousand seven, are the basis for kind of our modern internet today. All right, folks. So I think it's probably time that we go ahead and transition towards the end because we have been talking for a long time about Paranoia Agent. I think there's probably still even rabbit holes that we could go down with with this show because there is a lot of angles to approach it and a lot of angles to discuss it. But I think we do have to call it quits at this point. Uh, yeah, so I, so guess, I feel like we barely scratched the surface, though. <laughs> uh, I agree, I agree. But I think we're yeah. going to have to bring this one to a close. So uh, I guess going around the circle, final words about Paranoia Agent and what to you is the scene that will stand out most in your mind whenever you think about this show going going forward. Tori, I'll toss it to you first. Oh, yeah. Um, My final word, if you haven't seen it, please go watch it. I think it is... Um, one of you know Khan's best works and definitely a um what's the word i'm looking for like a i don't know a shining example of what he does sure and it's it's good it's a good time and standout scene to me can i cheat and pick two if you have to Okay, thank you. Probably the one in the suicide episode where they're going to hang themselves in the tree and the girl just starts, like, jumping up and down and the guys are like, what's going on? Why aren't we dying? <laughs> um, that was really funny to me. And then um, probably the one I already mentioned um, with the wife of the detective talking about how, like, she was no longer going to let her bad thoughts and bad feelings define how she was going to live her life great thank you yeah what do you what do you think uh bill i say the show holds up extremely well you should go see it um and uh i think it says a lot about stuff going on today as we've talked about in this episode um and uh, i i if you like kind of smaller stories um, kind of like if you like the beginning parts of Kaiba and they're kind of individual tales I would highly recommend Paranoia for that and just more Stishkan work is always great I highly recommend it but my standout scene I, I, I don't mean to be dark but that whole sequence where the policeman's friend's daughter finds out about the cameras in her room 
and just Dang. you see it from the camera lens it's just like oh it's so it's so horrible and yeah, it's pretty pretty and, horrifying yeah and just it's very striking and i just i and i felt just the the anguish and just the just the frust just the anger and just the grossness of it and that really that mm-hmm. really affected me did it, did, it, did it make you want to check behind your your furniture to make sure <laughs> just to make sure uh, it, you know it, it, made, it, it made me say um those like camera system setups you can do in your house don't no thank you i don't want that <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yes all right tobias i mean i think we covered it pretty well it um it is the the message behind it is still very very prevalent today more prevalent today than anything else and important that we recognize um like bill said parasocial relationships and learn to accept responsibility and uh, not let that escapism drive our lives because that is not our lives. In fact, um, it's certainly different. Uh, maybe one of the most different of, of cons works for sure. Uh, still no less worth checking out. Absolutely. Uh, I think my, there's a, I mean, there's so many scenes in this that are great, but when I have to point out, we didn't really talk about it much, but in the episode with the two boys, the, uh, the the one that's really popular and great. Uh, there's a point in the beginning where he's when he smiles, he has that little sheen in his teeth, you know. <laughs> yeah. And the one where he, he looks at the camera and he goes ding, and then he looks away for a second and looks back at the camera and it goes ding again, <laughs> like the second time. It's just it's pitch perfect, hilarious. <laughs> you could call this uh, paranoid social relationships. <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean walking away from this i'm extremely glad that i finally gave it a shot and watched more than just the first episode and it's uh kind of a bummer to me that i don't that i'm now finished watching with very few exceptions some of his much smaller work i am done watching all satoshi Kon anime i will never be able to experience it for the first time uh but that's okay that is okay uh, I, I, I enjoyed this show, even though I think some of Satoshi Kon's other work is a little bit more holistically impressive. The show is still extremely good, extremely tight, extremely relevant, and short at only 13 episodes. And I think it uses all 13 very, very well. It doesn't feel like there's any wasted time in this entire show. Like, every moment serves the next, and it's uh, it's very very well done so uh, i would uh, highly recommend anybody to check this one out it is a uh, good interesting enjoyable enjoyable fun ride Uh, for me i think the scenes that stand out the most are i i like it when there's like the the maromi fever scene where you just see like maromi everywhere like that's that's Mm -hmm. very funny to me just like seeing seeing that little that cute little dog just everywhere um but I guess I'm going to cheat and do two because I did one one positive one, like seeing all the mermaids everywhere. Um, but the one the one that might stand out to me just because of how terrible it is, I'll do another one kind of in the vein of Bill, is when you see the flashback to what happened with Soggy and her dog, the dog that she named Aww. Maromi after. Aww, I'm just like, dang, that's I hate I hate that I was forced to look at this. Uh, to yeah. see this cute little dog get hit by a car uh, and it was so so gosh dang sad and it really bummed me out because it's just like it just shows the fragility of a of a small animal like that or or a person really it's just like 
one one second you're there and the next you're gone just through a freak accident so yeah. that was that that was a big bummer but i i don't like ending episodes on on bummers so uh what what's what's something happy we can talk about uh uh i don't know uh, our website, our website's pretty happy, thirdimpactanime.com. <laughs> you can go there to find all of our previous episodes that we have recorded about a wide variety of anime topics. You can also follow us on our various social media accounts. We're most active over on Twitter at TI underscore anime and over on Instagram at thirdimpactanime. And I guess we're ending the episode, so... Uh, yeah, you know, it also is pretty. It's pretty happy, Austin. Well, what's that, Tobias? What's happy? Uh, our Discord is pretty happy and pretty hopping and happening, hopping and. Well, I'm hoppin looking in. at a rabbit right now, so it is hopping on <laughs> if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we we've advertised it before, but it seems lately. I think uh, maybe because of our podcast with the what the cigars and sun side sideburns, sideburns and cigarettes, side, sideburns and cigarettes uh, podcast. It just seems to be a, a new group of people, and we've been doing a lot of socializing and talking. It's been yeah. kind of a, a nice sort of pseudo revitalization, mm-hmm. uh, as if the place had ever gone away mm-hmm. in the first place. So yeah, you should join our Discord. It's a fun, cool time. We get to talk to cool people. Yeah, not yep. me though. I'm not <laughs> cool. a cool person. Cool people, with the exception of Tobias, and really by cool people we yep. just mean Basil. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, our Discord is a fun time, and you should totally check it out. If you want to find our link to join it, it is free to open. It's not behind, like, a Patreon paywall or anything. You can just find it over on our website, thirdimpactanime.com, and find the Join the Discord button over on the right-hand side. And uh, let's see, Tobias and Bill, you guys are working on a podcast sub-series. Would you like to uh, tell the people a little bit about what you've been working on that they may or may not have listened to already yeah so we've got a grand line reborn this is a sort of co-production podcast that bill and i we basically got tired of talking shit to each other about our favorite shows and said you know what we're gonna sit down and read one piece and play final fantasy 14 there's a uh, specific channel in the discord we we mentioned that is kind of that's based around but we've recorded episodes about our impressions about these two series we've got episode zero and episode one out now uh, i would think shortly after this episode goes live we'll have uh, actual episode two should be out and we've got a couple um side tangents side episodes we're working on as well so i'm really excited uh really excited to uh lead bill through arm veil for the the third time <laughs> oh boy <laughs> Bill loves Iron Veil. Mm-hmm. You know, my favorite. <laughs> and if you would like to support the podcast, again, you can do that simply by sharing our episodes with a friend. Or if you use a podcast service that allows you to rate or review podcasts, you can do that for us. It would put a really nice smile on our face. It would give us a super bright day. If you'd like to share what you thought about Paranoia Agent, you can send us an email at thirdimpactanime at gmail.com, and we might talk about it on the air at some point. But my name is Austin. I've been your host for this evening. You can find me and my personal Twitter over at bebopshock on Twitter. And that's basically all the social media and I do on a significant basis. But uh, where can people connect with you, Tori? 
Um, yeah, I actually haven't really been using Twitter, but if you want to follow me anyway, it's at WorstWaifu. I've mostly been hanging out in the Discord, and now I'm going to go disassociate in my bed and have my stuffed animals talk to me for the rest of the night. Goodbye. Take a rest. <laughs> Take a rest. Take a rest. Uh, take a take rest. A rest. <laughs> and uh, Bill and Tobias, where can people connect with you guys? Well, I'm I'm also on Twitter. I don't I don't know if you want to pair a social relationship with me because my Twitter's <laughs> not the most not the most fun thing in the world. So instead, I will plug uh, my letterbox where I've been doing a lot of horror movie reviews. Uh, WB Foreman nine 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 on there, and uh, like I've been preaching through this episode, the bonus features that are on the Blu-ray. Are really cool because we rarely if ever get any sort of bonus features involving Japanese production like I can name probably two or three Blu-rays that do that usually it's the just the dub cast doing a random one-off commentary episode so it was really cool to listen to the audio commentaries with Stish Khan uh, the writer and the producer from uh, Wow Wow which is the um, pay-per-view channel that Paranoia Agent aired on and it gives you really cool insight. It's called uh, Paranoia Radio, where first episode they talk about the writing process, second episode they talk about the production process, and third episode they talk about the sound production. So if you're really interested in like the nuts and bolts of how things are made, uh, and just want to hear just Satishkan speak, uh, I highly recommend those bonus features as well. Uh, and my last thing is they also include a full-on storyboard playthrough of the first episode of Paranoia Agent, which is pretty cool. So you're saying nice. we should buy the Blu-ray. Is that uh, what you're saying? Uh, you know, or may- maybe it's at your local library you could run. I don't know. Oh, do that. nice one, Bill. Nice one. Plug the local library. <laughs> right, and where can people yeah, find d- you, Tobias? Uh, I'm also on Twitter, uh, at Reverend underscore Tobias. That's where all my uh, crap is. And folks, I think that's all we've got for you. Thank you for joining us for our review of Paranoia Agent. I hope you have an excellent Halloween season. And above all things, remember to take a rest. 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 Take a rest.